Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Great deal going on right now. Throw down $1 on an NBA game. And if that team wins, you get $150 in free plays. With John Schuster, I'm Mike Luke. All right, I've got a ton to get to today. Very excited here. I am coming to you live on assignment. Well, not on assignment, but uh, from the La Quinta Inn on the west side of Albuquerque, New Mexico. John Schuster is holding it down in Tucson, Arizona. So, again, just want to give you all of our locations. Not that you need it, but there you go. All right, Arizona wins 84-81. This was a game, Schuster, where, you know, if you're an Arizona fan, you don't have to make any apologies for winning. I don't want to say ugly, but you know what? We're in the time of the year now where a lot of teams are playing close games. Arizona found a way to win. And you know what? Good teams win these games. Bad teams lose these games. And I'm not saying Oregon's a bad team, but Oregon is a dumb team. And that they play, they don't play smart basketball. And Arizona made the plays down the stretch that they needed to make. And again, I know that sounds super cliche, but... Christian Coloco, great defense down the stretch. Arizona is able to capitalize. Meanwhile, Oregon, best player, is putting his head down and trying to throw up a two-point Hail Mary when he needs three points. That, to me, is the difference in the game there, John Schuster. Well, it's a bad possession, but I'd be careful in regards to, you know, if you want to – if if you don't want to – if you want to call Oregon perhaps not the brightest team uh, in all right, fair basketball, enough. that's fair enough. This was a great basketball game. And oh, was it a great basketball game? It was a game that because of the lead-in with ESPN's game day here is the type of game that's going to get a lot of extra publicity as well. I think Jay Billis is going to do a lot to talk about this game throughout, you know, on a number of platforms. And Oregon and Arizona delivered. And I think in essence what you saw over the course of the last five minutes or so 
was two really fatigued basketball teams being able to do just one team being able to do just enough to get it done. Arizona had little plays that, you know, I think a lot of people are going to talk about Crease's long three pointer. Mm -hmm. Totally get it. But Arizona made free throws and Arizona had good defense, especially with Coloco uh, late in the game. And it was little things like that that aren't necessarily highlights per se uh, that played a role in what was a phenomenal game. And I watch this kind of performance and I look at their numbers and I get the terrible loss to California and the ter- and and just getting blown out by ASU the other night. And I know because of how much they expended in tonight's game at McHale that I think the games in Eugene against the LA schools are problems too. But how in the bleep, just by looking at Oregon, that you don't have Oregon in the field, I think is absolutely astonishing to me. To me, and- it's, just, it's amazing to me that they've lost the amount of games that they've lost this season. Because when you watch them up there, and there's not many teams that look the part next to Arizona, and they more than they more than look the part. What you said, Schuster, though, is this was a great basketball game. It, and this was a this, and again, it's coming on at eight o'clock our time, which means what ten o'clock in the East right. Coast or eleven, whatever. So a lot of people didn't see it, but this is the kind of game that you need for Pac-12 basketball. And these were two teams that brought it. Oregon, you could tell from the beginning, went into this game knowing we've got to win this game. Arizona, though, the way they hit you with spurts. The way that every time, I mean, Oregon was up by 12 at one point, and I want to say within a minute or two, that lead was down to one. And there were a, there was another run like that as well. This team is just, we've, we talk about it, and we're going to keep talking about it. The margin for error on this team, on this is absolutely insane. Oregon came in here and played a very focused brand of basketball, and Arizona was still able to win at the end of the game but this is a much better game for arizona i think no doubt these are the types of games that you're going to have in the tournament arizona's going to win a couple of depending on how lengthy their tournament run is they're going to win a couple ways and the way that we see arizona take out a washington state or a cal or a stanford or a utah or a wyoming at home where they go on these spurts and then they just put the game away in the first weekend i think arizona's going to win that way You're going to get games like that in the early stages of the tournament. But then you're going to get some games like this. And Arizona's ability to figure out ways to do just enough to get a W against a team that knew it needed it and focused about as well as it could. Uh, And and, and again, while their record and their line isn't going, I, I, I think their line is among the most deceptive in college basketball. Oregon, if they figure it out, maybe, maybe we're just too late in the season for that. It's Dana Altman. I'm not going to say that. If Oregon figures this out and they and get, get into the tournament, you don't want to see them. But Oregon aside, why this, is an, why this is important for Arizona is the way that they had to grind. This is one of the few games we've seen this year, and it's been very rare because Arizona's got better depth than everybody else. Right. And their style of play wears down other teams. And even though that was close to happening in this game tonight, Arizona hit a couple walls, too, and had to fight through them. And you're going to have to do that on neutral courts in the NCAA tournament. So getting a win like this, as much as it's frustrating and gives maybe Oregon the belief that it can compete, more importantly, and for the point of our discussion here, it gives Arizona an understanding and a little extra confidence that it can win close games when things aren't necessarily going their way and they've got to fight through 
really difficult physical situations. All right, guys, let's get to the comments right here. A uh, lot of comments coming in. We already got about 60. I apologize. <laughs> We're going to get to these. Cody Bell right here, Schuster, I think makes a great point. So is Ben officially back or what? And I think it's hard to say at this point that Matherin isn't back. He's playing incredibly efficient ball right now. He's getting to wherever he wants on the court. And more so than anything, Shu. The three-point shot, I expect it to go in when he's shooting. And when you've got a guy of that physical capability that is playing with the confidence he is, that's a problem for opposing teams. Four consecutive games where he scored 20 points or more. That's right. obviously something that Arizona likes. It helps Arizona's flow offensively. Again, I think the thing that I'll be hearkening on a fair amount this evening is – was he willing to try to find big looks and make them late in games? And the answer was yes. In a right. game like this where – because there, there were points in this game, and I think a lot of this you – get, you get little staggered reasons as to why. Oregon's defense is part of it, but fatigue is another part. Arizona had a number of stand-around possessions uh, in the last six or seven minutes of this game. Oregon as well because both teams were just gassed. Uh, so when those happen – it's great to have somebody on the floor, and Arizona has two of these guys, almost two and a half, and I'll get to that in a moment, uh, where you feel reasonably comfortable that maybe that person can get a bucket. Matherin is at the top of that list, and he, and he illustrated that tonight. That's a big deal. Arizona cannot have Matherin disappearing late in tough games. Tabellus hustled tonight as well, late, and that was significant for Arizona. And, of course, in those moments when that falls apart, Carissa has the confidence and the willingness to take big shots. So it's a good combination. But it, Matherin not just scoring 24 and having seven rebounds and being immensely instrumental at the beginning and the end, the end especially and the willingness to take a big shot and have the confidence that that's go you're, you're going to be able to get that done, I think goes a heck of a long way toward feeling good about what it is that Arizona can do late in games when this matters. Yes, one thing that you don't need to worry about, though, is the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Code word PHNX. Throw down $1 on an NBA game, and if that team wins, $150 in free plays. New customers only. Eligibility restrictions do apply. If you've got a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. There aren't any games going on right now, but John Schuster is a man of the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and he said that he would be betting against the Pistons from here on out. I like that as well. We will be getting back to that. All right, let's get to the comments right here, and can we start talking about some uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to this one, Sean, about some Pac-12 uh, Player of the Year awards, but let's talk about uh, – let's see here – Ben is the reason why we win close games. That's an interesting That's an interesting point here. And I wanted to get to this a little bit. I agree and I don't agree, though, because Arizona also beat UCLA fairly handily with Ben Matherin not playing good basketball. But in big games, as we've talked about, and again, I realize I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, Ben Matherin has been the guy that's been able to get buckets late, whether that was uh, uh, Wichita State, excuse me, whether that was uh, – uh, uh, Illinois, there's been games throughout this season. And he's the one guy on the team, and we're going to talk about Tabellus running the court here in a minute, which I really like. But he's the one guy on the team, Schuster, that I feel whenever he's got the ball, I, he's going to be able to get a good shot. So, yes, it was great that Arizona was winning without him playing well. But in order for this team, let's be honest, to win a national championship, he's got to be playing good B or A Ben Matherin ball, not the three of – 
13 that we saw it seemed for about a couple weeks yeah there, there was a point in time late january and kind of the dog days of college basketball i think uh where matherin wasn't at the top of his game where things just weren't clicking but again and this has happened twice now. It happened at the beginning of the year where he started slow and then he figured it out and it worked out. And then it happened for about a two or three week period, about two or three weeks ago. Right. And then he worked through it and now he's good again. And uh, yeah, late in games in big tournament matchups, possibly from, and and you know, obviously you have to take them one at a time. But if you look at Arizona, just from a general odd standpoint, you know, the likelihood is they're going to be a number one seed. This, by the way, helped them in that regard as well. And uh, they're, as such, you're looking at being in the most preferential treatment in the first weekend of the season, uh, where maybe you've got an opportunity to take out some inferior competition. But from that Sweet 16 game on, obviously you're going to play some really good teams and you're going to be in some tight possession matchups. And Matherin needs to be a guy who is there for Arizona, who can create, get close, and if he doesn't make the shot, get to the line. Just do something that gives Arizona good opportunities to have effective, efficient offensive possessions late in matchups he still doesn't look back to me like he was before the injury but I, I game in and game out I'm liking more and more of what I'm seeing out of Julius Tabellis and that's been highlighted Shu, by the way that he's been able to run the court here he had two he had two uh, uh excuse me dunks where he just outran the Oregon guy down the court and he did this previous game as well Tabellis is the guy that we talked about and we're going to keep talking about it Ben Matherin's your best player, but Tabellis is the one guy that I think going in game in and game out, I need to be able to pencil you in for around 15 points and 10 rebounds and an effective 15 and 10 where you notice it out there. And he's getting back to that point there, Shu. Would you agree? Would you disagree? Well, well I, I think Tabellis is fine. And no. I, I think he creates such a problem for the opposition because now you've got to defend someone who's a legitimate scorer on the inside, in addition to Matherin, who's a legitimate scorer on the outside. And having that kind of combination that you definitely have to focus uh, some priorities on on, makes things uh, difficult for other teams. And I liked again in this game that even though there were a couple sequences, maybe in the last couple minutes, where Tabellus didn't get shots that necessarily went, he did get good looks. And on one of them, he ultimately got to the foul line. And uh, I, I think that kind of hustle put Arizona in good positions on the offensive end of the floor, which helped them to not be in situations where they took bad, inefficient shots uh, late, late in matchups. And in this kind of give and take clash, that's important. And on the other end, of course, Arizona was able to defensively step up enough and Oregon had to make some big shots, but it was Arizona right. that looked a little bit more efficient, I think in the last couple minutes. And that was probably one of the reasons that gave them just enough to get over the top. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty much. I think that's pretty much spot on. Let's get to uh, let's get to some points here. Oh, and by the way, Oregon has one of the uh, templates in order to beat Arizona. And guys, a lot of guys on here made some really good points. Saul Bookman threw out there that he worries about. Uh, um, only time that scares me about U of A is the tendency to be soft and consistent with the ball sloppy at times. Agreed with that. The one thing I will say though, Shu, and we've talked about this for a while too. In order to beat Arizona, I believe you have to have a certain length, 
a certain size factor to you because when you watch Arizona, they just wear you down up front with Coloco, with Tabellis. What you saw from Oregon tonight, and I think this was a big reason they were able to keep it close and put themselves in a position to maybe be able to win, is that they can throw a guy like an Infali Dante out there who looks every bit as big as Coloco and he finishes with 14 and 15. You can throw a guy like a Kepnang out there. They've got the requisite type skill to be able to beat a team like Arizona. I just don't think that you can beat Arizona the traditional way where, you know what, it's cool. We've got a six, seven power forward and a six, eight center. It's a college type of uh, situation. I think you've got to be big up front. I think that was a big advantage, not an advantage, but that was, I think a reason that Oregon was able to hang in this game. Yeah. A couple of comments. Saul, it's good to see. And another comment there as well. I think it was uh, from our friend, Sean, uh, talking about two, I think, very important things in that regard. Uh, Saul's right. And the problem with uh, some some of the six, seven-ish teams is if Arizona commits a lot of turnovers like they did in the first half. I think the Cats had nine turnovers. Oregon scored 13 points as a result of that in the first half. If you have a team that's deep enough and athletic enough with some length to give Arizona some pressure in the backcourt, maybe you've got an opportunity to, you know, cause some havoc and get some easy buckets. The problem, of course, on the other end is that when Arizona gets into its half-court game, it can counter with Terry, who's, you know, got a 6'11 wingspan, uh, Coloco, who's 7'1", Tabellas, who's 6'11", and Ballo, who's also a big guy as well. And Arizona, obviously, one of the things that I think is really interesting about um, Arizona and about Gonzaga, the two right now kind of preeminent number one teams, is when you play analytics basketball at the college level, everybody- Which we love. Everybody, I'm sure you do. Everybody has uh, fallen in love with the three-pointer, which is fine. I I don't have a problem with the three-pointer as well. And Arizona was effective shooting the three tonight. But Arizona is also, also makes it a point, a priority especially when they've got smaller teams, which is about everybody, to force it inside. Force it inside, force it inside, force it inside. Gonzaga last year made more two-pointers by far than anybody else in college basketball and went undefeated until the final game. So I think it's safe to say Gonzaga had a pretty good year. Um, Arizona this year is among the nation's leaders in two-point buckets. So there's a lot to be said about doing something that's been obvious in basketball for decades, but seems to have been lost in the last few years. You can go inside and try to force your will in that regard. And Arizona makes a concerted effort to make that happen. So even if you have athletic teams on the perimeter, and again, that's a problem. Arizona can still get it inside and use that three-headed monster to hopefully wear other teams down. And that leads me to, I think it was Sean's point as well, who uh, believes that Arizona's got the best eight-man rotation in basketball, and and, and at the very least, it's pretty damn good. And when you have that kind of weaponry and that kind of depth, you can weather the storm in games like this and give yourself an opportunity to move through. You know, Brad Cohen, you're putting it exactly right. You're 2-0 in the back of the A t-shirt. That's why you need to go to the GoPHNX website. All kinds of good stuff going out right there. All the different places in the state covered from the Coyotes to the Sun Devils to the Cardinals to the Diamondbacks to the, I almost said the Cowboys right there. Did I say the Suns? By the way, the Suns are really good as well. So all kinds of stuff right there. You get a free shirt if you do subscribe or and just do it. It's a really good idea. AZ Wildcats podcast as well. Hit subscribe on that. All right, guys, let's get back to some, uh, let's get, 
Back the eight t-shirts are undefeated. Love it. All right. Let's get back to uh, some points here. All right. Going forward now, Arizona, I felt this was one of the two games that they could lose the rest of the regular season. They weathered that storm, obviously, against Oregon. The team that they uh, they got one game against SC, which we're going to get to here in a moment. But other than that, assuming they beat SC, and I'm not going to – actually, I almost said assuming they beat SC, be, and I'm not going to make that assumption. I was about to make that assumption, so I'm not going to because USC can definitely win that. But Arizona bare minimum right here, Schuster is going to be 16-2 and two in uh, conference play. And barring something just crazy in the uh, Pac-12 tournament, this is a one seed right now, I think, at this at this stage in the game. I feel very comfortable saying Arizona and Gonzaga are pretty much locks to be one seeds. I think what you would like to see happen, I saw an interesting stat, or I read an interesting stat about this. The difference between being the number one overall seed and the number two overall seed and again, I can't exactly remember how the metric quite went, but it was important though. So you want to be able to get that number one seed. Mainly you can stay out West. You're probably going to get the benefit of maybe the weaker bracket right there. But Schuster, this game to me was basically a game where Arizona sealed a number one seed right there. It I went a long way. I think it went a long way. Yeah. Can, can a lot happen, of course. Right. Uh, you, you know, Can there be a stumble along the way that you don't necessarily expect? Yeah, um, that, that that's certainly possible. But the way that Arizona has played up to this point, uh, it this was a this was a win that helped solidify them, and it helped solidify them additionally because uh, Auburn lost today, because Kansas had a setback last week, because uh, Kentucky lost at Tennessee. You know, there there's a little bit of trickle down that's working here. Purdue had a loss or two that knocked them down a little bit. Duke's got four losses overall. It is hard for me to fathom, even if Arizona loses to USC and loses a game in the Pac-12 tournament, that they won't be a one seed and they'd likely right. be a one in the South. And that's not a bad place to be because I think the South's second weekend games are in San Antonio. So for Arizona fans in Tucson, getting to San Antonio is not all that difficult. You can make a migration over there, make the drive, and make it's that a lot happen. different than going to so, Rochester. That's exactly right. And, right, and and so I don't think Arizona is the 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 question. I think that becomes fairly interesting here is if Arizona runs the table, hmm. are you going to make Arizona the one in the West? That, and I, that's and, that's and, what I wanted to get. And and that's a very and, and and I think right now, if you were being the only difference between Arizona and Gonzaga, in my humble opinion right now, based on their overall resume, is that Gonzaga hammered UCLA and Arizona has a loss at UCLA, even though Arizona made up the loss here. That's right. it. They, the other thing beyond that is that Gonzaga has a better reputation over the course of the last two decades than Arizona has had over the course of the last five or six years. Right. Arizona's been relatively off the map. Gonzaga's been to two finals in the last five years. Right. So as a result of that, Gonzaga is a team that you expect to be number one. Arizona, you're still surprised to be number one. So you're so even though you're supposed to look at things as this year only, Gonzaga's probably going to get the benefit of the doubt in that regard if they run the table, and they probably will, and be the one seed in the West. But I think that puts Arizona as the one seed in the South. But if you were looking at it objectively and Arizona runs the table, I think you can make a coin flip argument that Arizona could be the number one seed in the West and the number one seed overall in the tournament. I want to get to this point real quick, and it's not nearly as important as the number one seed in everything, but 
a couple of people have mentioned this and I had this on my notes as well. So if a couple of people mention it and it's on my notes, it's probably a good point, mainly because you guys pushed it out there, not because I did. This game was crazy for all of the missed lobs that these two teams were throwing at the rim that guys either couldn't complete or it was batted away. Here's a good rule of thumb. When you got multiple seven footers out there at each time, don't do it unless it's absolutely obvious. Am I off my rocker here, Schuster? Because I thought it was something that I noticed early and often. You and other people picked it up, picked up on it too. So maybe Arizona feels the same way. I have a little bit different opinion on that. I'm well, kind that's of a why believer. I if you think that uh, you've got a good look at the rim, keep doing it because eventually that stuff's it, eventually to more often than not having shots at the rim is going to work for you. And I know that it's frustrating. Frustrating. I, I think Arizona did it on three consecutive possessions, but on two of those, Coloco got dunks. So. That's okay. I mean, right. I, I'm okay with that. The problem is that, and I think a lot of this played into one athleticism and two overall fatigue. Uh, this was such a physical game that it's tiring to have somebody lean on you and still try to go to the rim and make something happen. And Sean Steely's got a question go for you. He said, "Shoe, do you?" And this is something that you would probably remember. What uh, region? Boy, I think they were. Uh, I think they were in the West. They were probably in the West, I would assume. Yeah, I right? think they were. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, all right. Shane Diefenbach, real quick, does really good stuff over at PHNX Sun Devils. That's another reason you want to subscribe. Again, it's not easy rooting for the Sun Devils, but the guys over there make it as easy as possible. So go ahead and check that one out right there when you can. All right. Let's get to some KB Thiel right here. KB's, uh, he's a man amongst town, so home games could get a little bit late. End of the game was about to give me a heart medication prescription. I think, honestly, dude, for both sides right there, if you're Tommy Lloyd, you're just happy you came out of this with a victory. If you're Dana Altman, you're wondering, what the heck happened out there? You've got a chance to be able to tie the game, and you got a point guard who, let's be honest, Will Richardson was arguably the best player on the court tonight. And if he wasn't, he was right there along with Ben Matherin. And you're throwing up a two-point shot that you don't even get off when you're down three. That, to me, was really obviously kind of emblematic of the game right there. But, Shu, um, that well, was a, a god-awful possession. It was, it, it, it was yeah. a god-awful possession, and as multiple people on here put, that felt like a Sweet 16-type game. Go. Man, I thought it I thought, yeah, you could say it was a Sweet 16 type. I, you could say it was an Elite 8 type. That was right. a grinder. That was a hell of a basketball game. Right. And, yes, I think uh, prescription requests for Digitalis uh, took a fairly significant hit after uh, tonight's performance. Uh, so uh, uh, our pal KB is not alone, uh, right. <laughs> probably in that regard. They're probably uh, knocking down the websites right now trying to, uh, try, trying to pump up those prescriptions a little bit in Eugene and uh, Tucson. But – one of the things that I think is kind of being lost, eh, lost is the wrong terminology. It's easy. Coloco's so frustrating, but so deceptively good at the same time. Right. And he's so frustrating because he, he was deceptive to us at the beginning of the year when he looked like an offensive presence. And so to some degree, when he bobbles the ball, when things don't look well, when he loses the handle and Oregon gets second shot opportunities, which is absolutely frustrating. Um, you know, you kind of, when it happens in Coloco, you kind of see it. It's right in front of when he misses the lobs at the basket. It's kind of like. You see it unfolding his, in front of you. You know what's about to happen. But his defense is pretty bleeping good. And, and now his, 
willingness and his functionality. Let's go with functionality. Yeah, I agree with his that. His solid like that. functionality on the perimeter, not just on the inside. His perimeter defense, if you're an NBA scout and you're looking at 7-1 play in the perimeter like that, you're thinking, yeah, I might be able to find a spot for something like that. And, and, and the rest of it will take care of itself. And his ability to be able to move his feet. Now, again, he's going to get beat, but when you're seven foot one, as long as you don't get beat by three steps, you're able to recover and at least get back there to a certain so, point. As bad as that last possession was from Oregon's standpoint, and it was, a large reason that it was is Coloco's defense on the perimeter, which frustrated that offensive player. And then I think he got lost in the clock. Obviously, what he should have done is passed it over and, and, and so, you know, can, can the guy get a better look against Larson and throw up a, a desperation three? Yeah, probably. Or you run a better play. But Coloco was immense in that situation and made that offensively a lot more difficult for Oregon than obviously in the last possession Oregon wanted. Yes, uh, lots of uh, lots of good stuff to take from this. Now, Arizona, Gonzaga. I think it's a very interesting point you make because obviously in case you weren't watching, Auburn lost today. And so I think that Arizona's got a little bit of wiggle room right there. Kentucky had a really tough loss right here. Right now it's Gonzaga. Right now it's Arizona. Now, if you're Arizona, I want to play every good team that I can play the rest of the season to get me ready for this tournament. Again, we talked about it. You're going to be a one seat. You know what this means? I got UC USC coming in again. All right, we're going to USC, excuse me. Then I'd love to play UCLA again, and I'd love to play Oregon again. I'd really like to play Oregon because I think that that kind of gives you the uh, the width that's of the kind of Oregon presents the kind of physicality that's more reminiscent of an SEC team. Yeah. And the type of SEC team that can be a problem. So if you can have another opportunity to see something like that in preparation of what you potentially get in the tournament, I think that's helpful too. Right. Uh, excuse me. Robbie DeWitt uh, put on there. She said, I mentioned to a friend that Coloco's hands are starting to remind me of Zeus, but he's obviously a much better defender. I think that's I think that's spot on. And I've talked about it before. Believe it or not, anybody that's ever seen me knows that I'm not a big man, never played big man in college basketball. But being around the game as long as I have, I've very rarely seen guys whose hands get significantly better. They get better, but it's kind of like with uh, like Coloco's hands. They're still an issue. They're always going to be an issue when he's playing against, you know, when he's in traffic. But you can get a little bit better at that. Um, but like you said, his defense, I think he's he's the most impactful defensive player in the conference by a good percentage here. And so. it may be the country. Right. He's in that conversation. And that's a really good thing to have. And, and, I, and I know I harped on this at the beginning of the year that I thought he was the most important player on the floor. And the reason that I did was because of his defense and – and the fact that Arizona could extend its defense by regards to having him in the middle. Beyond that, I would I never really viewed Coloco as a big scoring option other than getting right. a dunk every now and again. So right. when yes, there are I'm more frustrated, I think, with Coloco when he loses a rebound than when he bobbles the ball a little bit on the inside. Uh because I'd like for his hands to get better too, but I think that's just part of the development right now have him defensively and have him rebounding. And if he can allow Arizona to extend defensively, then, then, then he's more than doing his job. I thought he played it. And, and, and there are moments of frustration that are jarring and jump out at you, but I thought Coloco played a great game tonight 
overall. And, and you want to know, know something instrumental against two big Oregon guys who are a problem and and physically imposing in their own right. You know something that actually uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't hate when Coloco shoots a jump shot. Again, I don't want him shooting jump shots, but you look, look at like when it, now granted Dante made his jump shot. But look at the difference in the fluidity when uh, Coloco shot his as opposed to when yeah, Dante or a guy it. like Ballo. So that mm-hmm. to me is something that's maybe a little bit more of something that's going to make him enticing for the NBA. Again, I've got I've got better players on this team to be able to take those shots. But, you know, down the road, that's something to keep going on right yeah, there. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. And I think it's one of the interesting things in Arizona's offensive flow that Tommy Lloyd doesn't get on players for taking – bad shots right. on a consistent basis. If you have an open look from 14 to 16 feet, Lloyd's saying, sure, you can make that shot. You made it in practice. You can make it. Did here. you happen to it's see a very optimistic approach? He's done it with Ballow. As we said. And I understand the defensive, you know, scouting. You got a big guy on the inside. If the, if he's going to go out on the perimeter, let him, if he, if he makes the 15 footer, you just deal with it. So if Coloco's going to get an open look and Ballow's going to get an open look, nothing wrong with taking it. Did you happen to see or hear what the commentator said? I thought this was very fascinating. And this is why there are uh, uh, benefits to watching a game at home. Um, Tommy Lloyd was asked about, you know, the difference with Coloco this year. And he said, we love him. And he said in the past, you know, he would get yelled at, he would get down on, and it's far more of an encouragement. Now, I don't know if the commentator meant it the way, but that's exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. And I, but, but I believe it, though. Coloco doesn't look scared out there. There's going to be games, and any coach knows this, that, you know what, I've got certain guys that aren't great at certain aspects. Give you an idea. Even though we made two threes today, if Dalen Terry shoots five wide open threes, he's probably going to make one of them. That's just not his strength. He does a lot of other great things. Christian Coloco is going to make some mistakes. We know exactly what those are. We've just been over them before. But when he can do so much well for you, Yes, uh, Bensky Bro said the exact term was Billa said shoot out. Yes, that's exactly what he said. But when you've got so much more going for you, you almost have to go into games knowing that, okay, that's going to be a little bit of the issue for me. Give you an idea, and then I'll let you go right here, Shu. I don't think Phil Jackson, and again, I don't want to compare Christian Coloco to Dennis Rodman, but I don't think Phil Jackson ever went into a game saying, you know what, if Dennis Rodman's got, if he's going to shoot, if he shoots 10 free throws, I expect him to make eight of them. You know, that's just not in his repertoire right there. And you live with it. And I think that's what Lloyd does. Lloyd goes into a game expecting a certain amount out of each player. And if they don't deliver on what they can do, then you're going to get upset. Give you a quick example. Uh, Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin should be able to get me 20 points a game pretty much every game as long as he's focused. If he's not focused, that's why I'm going to get mad at him because he's capable of more as opposed to some of the other guys. They've got a a lot of immense strengths, but you got to deal with some of the weaknesses as well. This was one of the Lute Olsen strategies, and you're well aware of this, that Olsen would pick one guy on the roster to pick on. Right. And he knew from the get-go that, Rick Anderson. that yeah, Rick Anderson is probably the best off the top of your head example, every team had one. Uh, but Anderson was the one that got the most publicity for putting up with that crap. Uh, right. and, and part of it was, I'm going to rail on you because you can take it. And then I can coddle to some degree the other guys who need to be approached in a different way. The Gardeners, the Arenases, perhaps a Jefferson, you know, maybe uh Shakur, somebody. Right. And, and there are one of the, 
most difficult things about being a coach. And in this day and age, it's even a little bit more problematic, perhaps, than it used to be, is that one size fits all doesn't work. Right. And 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 I think that was one of the things that was a problem for Miller. A lot of Miller's players liked Miller, but almost certainly hated the constant berating. Mm-hmm. There's that point, there, there's that cool down point where you need to be able to just back off a little bit. And I think that was a problem uh, for Arizona's predecessor at the coaching spot. Lloyd is probably still trying to figure this out the other way. Right. Who can who can deal with criticism in the moment better or in practice better? Who can I hammer? Who can who do I have to coddle? Uh, what's in between? You got to figure out personalities. And one of the things that I think they figured out from a personality standpoint is that Coloco functions better when he responds to a, a positive, supportive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may not necessarily be the case with other players on the team. So recognizing that and getting the most out of him as a result is a good thing. Recognizing that sometimes you can lay into a kid who maybe responds better by virtue of that is just as important. But Colo- but for Coloco in that example, I think um, going the supportive route is something that has obviously helped his game, and it's been great for him and great for Arizona as a result. Real quick, because this is a point, though, to piggyback off of what Schuster, I'm going to use this comparison again because it was from a book that I read from Bill Parcells where he talked about I have Lawrence Taylor on one side, and you know what? Lawrence Taylor is going to be out partying until 3 in the morning. He'll be at practice at 6 a.m. The last thing he's going to want me to hear is him yelling at me. He's the best defensive player in NFL history. I'm going to let him do what he wants. You know what? Phil Sims, he gets a little too cocky out there. I got to put him in his place. We're going to be yelling at each other the entire game. That's exactly what the kind of stuff you need to do. Now, one thing that you do need to know about is the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Code word PHNX. Throw down $1 in an NBA game, and you get $150 in free plays if that team wins. Shoe, give the advice to the folks out there that you have right there. Oh, you mean my uh, gambling advice, which is also uh, uh, highly uh, at the top of the list. Bet against the Pistons. Mm -hmm. The Pistons are bad, and they lose often by lots of points. Bet against the Pistons. Uh, Hope that the Pistons play every day for the rest of the regular season so that you can bet on the Pistons, or actually bet against the Pistons. Bet bet against the Pistons. Yes, bet against the Pistons. Four words, hashtag bet against the Pistons. DraftKings Sportsbook app. Code word PHNX. All right. Now let's get back some of your questions right here. So we've got, uh, all right. Wow. Actually did a pretty good job of catching up right here. It is weird though, about how Oregon seems to have Arizona's number to a certain extent right here. Just that this was the best game that Oregon's played. I would assume all season outside of maybe the UCLA or USC game for sure. But there's just something about Arizona. Granted, it's a different coach right now where they just seem to get up. But I think you're also seeing, too, that when Arizona basketball is at its apex, which it is again, that – and again, I hate bringing these cliches out, but it's it's 100% true, and a couple people made this point, that you are going to get everybody's best, our best performance. Oregon knew they needed to win this game. On top of that, they knew they were playing arguably the best team in the country. That's what you need to be able to get. They didn't bring the same performance against ASU. Sorry, Shane, if you're listening. It's just a different ball game right there, Shu. 
Yeah, Oregon is odd too. And, and and hey, when you've got the target on you, that's great. Arizona's been Arizona was used to that a lot in the Olsen era, used to that quite a bit in the Miller era as well. So hopefully Arizona gets used to that in the Tommy Lloyd era. This was interesting from that perspective, however, because I think a lot of those games that Oregon won consecutively were one possession games that right. happened to go in Oregon's direction instead right. of Arizona's direction. There's a lot of luck involved for sure. So Maybe some of that luck worked in Arizona's favor finally, um, and it was a I, it was definitely a uh, you know interesting matchup uh, in that regard. And uh, Arizona getting the W was a big deal, and Oregon's legit. Just quickly, I was uh, kind of looking at uh, some of the brackets here. Oregon is, I believe, uh, now seventeen and ten, and ten and six in conference play. Ten and six in conference play, and they're considered outside of the NCAA tournament by virtue of the game's premier bracketologist, whether you like him or not, uh, Joe Lenardi. Oregon's on the outside. And I'm looking at some of the other resumes from some of these major conferences. And you've got a bunch of teams. Iowa, Indiana, Creighton, Memphis, BYU, TCU, Iowa State. Iowa State's upside down in conference play. Marquette, Xavier, and a lot of these teams are sort of on eight lines, nine lines, 11. You know, some of them, BYU is kind of a bubble team, just like Oregon and BYU beat Oregon head to head. But the point is, right. Oregon's a 10-win team in a major conference, Power 5 conference, in a league that last year had four teams in the Sweet 16 and three in the Elite Eight. And this conference, and the, the, the conference still isn't getting a whole heck of a lot of publicity. It's strong at the top. And, and and I get some of it. You look at the you look at the overall records of a lot of these teams, and they aren't very good. The team out there that looks the most interesting right now would be Colorado. I think if you looked at Colorado's record and put them in the Big Twelve, the ACC, the SEC, wherever it happened to be, Colorado would be either a bubble team or in the field, and they're not even in conversation right now. So it still feels to me. Right. I mean, look at the Mountain West. The Mountain West has at least as many teams in the field as the Pac-12 does. And you know what? You, I mean, you, I mean, is are am I just? I think this is a better league. This league is hurting itself because it's got a bunch of teams that are playing 500 ball that have overall bad records. But I think game in and game out, generally speaking, the league's pretty good. And I still think the the teams that do get in are going to make some noise in this thing. And you think we, we would have thought we would have learned from last year. By the way, I want to put something in here. Ben, uh, Bensky, bro, appreciate you hopping in here. Two things that I don't get. Last year, all we heard about was how great the Big Ten was and everybody was out by the first weekend. Then last year, Pac-12, oh, they're no good, whatever. You have four teams in the Sweet 16, three teams in the Elite Eight, one team in the Final Four. So I I agree with this. I don't get where this whole thing about how the Pac-12, outside of just being lazy, I don't get where this narrative comes from that, oh, it's just terrible basketball. Meanwhile, the Big Ten is somehow awesome. I don't get yeah. that. I, I, I don't get that. Now, Iowa State is four games under 500 in its league, and they're in the tournament, and they're right. safely in the tournament. Here's the problem. Okay, to a large degree, and there's a lot of analytics, and I'm not I'm not dogging on the analytics because there's so many teams in college basketball that it's difficult to try to make comparisons. I get all of that. You're trying to have quad one and quad two and quad seventeen, and you know this Ken Palm and this and the net and the blah, you know what whatever it is. They're all they're all their own random number, and they try to figure out. 
in the end, here's what the committee does. And let's not pretend this isn't what the committee does. Right. The committee has all of these analytics in front of them so that they can so 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 they can remember net. So they can talk to Vital, you know, or somebody right. like him. Yeah, right, oh, I agree ooh, with that. Well, they had such and such a quad one and they were solid in their quad two. B flipping S. What they do is look at Lenardi's bracket and they tweak it a little bit. So if Lenardi has a team on the bubble, the committee already goes in biased based on what they think Lenardi is saying because he's the preeminent bracket guy. Um, so when he sees a team like Oregon, uh, on on the bubble, and right now on the wrong side of the bubble, it doesn't matter whether any of these people on the committee have ever actually seen Oregon play. Right. There, uh, because if you looked at or if you just looked at Oregon and say, "Holy crap, that team can play!" How are they not in the field? Because what you're trying to do, there's a bunch of teams in the field that you know aren't going to get out of the first weekend. You hope they can be competitive ish, right. but they're not going to. Their their chances of advancing aren't very good. But then you look at that group that's inconsistent that you can just eye test and say, whoa, that team's got talent. And then hopefully they can provide you with good competition. And that's what I think you're looking for as far as making a bracket is concerned. And when I look at Oregon versus a lot of those other teams that I just rattled off saying, how in the hell are they not in this field? Now, tell me a little bit about, before we sign off here, Arizona USC is going to be coming up here, not this week, but next week. That's the last one where, you know, the uh, th that's like we talked about. That's the last one where I think you can win. That uh, Arizona could possibly lose. That, to me, is an interesting game right there, just because a little bit like Oregon, USC comes into that game with the length and the size to be able to at least match up with Arizona a little bit. That's a game that I'm really looking forward to as well, because I think that'll be a good – harbinger for things to come for Arizona as far as playing teams like that. Did you just say harbinger for things to come? Did you just say harbinger for harbinger? Hey, man, I drove I 10 it's hours. Late. It's late. You've been on the road. I drove I 10 it. hours today, man. You know what? I don't feel uh, bad at all. You got another, uh, yeah, another long. You got oh, a you have another long drive tomorrow. tomorrow, for sure. Yes, you do. Okay. Um, <laughs> USC, to me, is the other conference team that is woefully undervalued. For right. different reasons. I agree. Oregon's a bubble team, and I get it. I think they're better than that, but, you know, whatever. Okay. USC, I think, is woefully underseated. Uh, and and I believe they're going to be a real pain in the end. Like they were last year. Yep, just like they were last year. They uh, and, and they looked really good the other night against Washington. Just, right. you know, their, their, physic, their size just eventually, you know, Washington just couldn't get a look. And SC looked good offensively, too, which is, I think, really their – their overall problem, their consistency on the offensive end is iffy. Remember, it, within four minutes to go, they were up 60 to 54 in Tucson. Right. So there, that, that was a game that Arizona, again, had to grind and play really well in the final four minutes and use depth uh, and, uh, to get a hard-fought W. Can SC win in Los Angeles? Absolutely, they can win that basketball game. And like Oregon was, and like a lot of other teams were, that's a game where SC is going to give them their best shot because for our, you know, because Arizona is the leader in the conference right now. So you're going to give them their best shot and it helps uh, from a positioning standpoint, uh, potentially for SC come NCAA tournament time as well. It's the type of game they can move up a line or two, maybe, maybe getting a W in that one. All right. We always aim to be harbingers of honesty on this show. And I think we did a really good job of that. Thomas Henry, quick question or a quick answer, by the way, anybody with two first names, 
is okay by Mike Luke. I will tell you that one right there. So uh, the beard is going to come off Tuesday. So I'm still on the road. Yeah, Tuesday. So you know what? Mark your calendar, everybody there. Harbinger. Harbinger. Yes, that, that was that was an harbinger. All right, guys, you are all the best. We had absolutely record numbers today. This was this was very impressive. Um, I can't thank you guys all enough. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm going to be honest with you, though. I'm tired. It's been a long day. John <laughs> Schuster's got another uh, cream soda to get to, but uh, we will be back with you. Uh, Safe be- travels, man. Appreciate you, bro. I'll be uh, on Monday with Jim Rosborough. He'll be giving us some insight. And uh, Schuster, as always, will be back with the uh, next uh, game, I believe, Thursday. For John Schuster, I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.